roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood. And looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first one for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, some of you, perhaps English majors here this morning, might recognize those uh, rather familiar words as belonging to the famous American poet Robert Frost and his classic poem, The Road Not Taken. Appearing originally in August of 1916 in the Atlantic Monthly Periodical, The Road Not Taken has long been celebrated as a peon, that is a song of praise or triumph of American individualism or of rugged self-determination. Maybe you've heard that poem before. I took the one less traveled by and that made all the difference. This anthem to self-assertion even. Having taken a more careful analysis, though, of that particular piece of poetry, one well-known literary critic states, though, the poem isn't really a salute to raw, can-do individualism. It's a commentary on the self-deception we practice when constructing the story of our own lives. In fact, the road not taken may be the best example in all of American poetry of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Or rather, it may be the best example in all of American culture of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Deception and disappointment. Well, listen, today, in perhaps a similar fashion to this 20th century piece of American poetry, Psalm 1 confronts its readers, you and I this morning, with its own serious and stark choice a proverbial fork in the road on the journey of one's personal faith and trust in Almighty God. That is to say, this wisdom poem stands, as it were, at the entrance to the entire book of Psalms, and it presents the reader with essentially, as you well know, two divergent paths. There is, of course, on the one hand, the path of the wise man, and there is the other, that path of the wicked. Though here we are able to see, unlike the paths and roads we often are at in our life today, we're able to see to the end of these particular paths, resulting in two different outcomes. For the one, there is the path that results in peace and productivity and prosperity even, and that, of course, belonging to the wise man. But for the other, there is the path that ultimately ends in simply perishing or destruction. See, if wisdom really is the skill of art, of 
the skill in the art of godly living, then Psalm 1 stands out as a great masterpiece of biblical wisdom poetry. For here at the head of the entire Psalter, that is what we would describe as the collection of the book of Psalms, we are introduced to one of the key and central themes in the entirety of the Psalms, namely solid joy. Solid joy, or true happiness, as I'll refer to it this morning, through personal devotion and through public delight in the law of the Lord. That is the theme that we see this morning. Well, brothers and sisters, hear now once again the word of God in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not, account, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his fully inspired, completely inerrant, and therefore perfectly trustworthy and life-giving word this morning. Now, to me, it is quite noteworthy that the first word of Psalm 1, and therefore the first word of the entire book of Psalms, is that wonderful Bible word, blessed. Blessed. You can't get one word without saying yes, yes to this text. Blessed is the man who, who does what? There's all sorts of people looking for all manner of blessing today, but the Bible says blessed is the man who finds his ultimate happiness, his true source of satisfaction in God's trustworthy and holy instruction. Blessed is the Bible man. Blessed is the Bible man. Christopher Ashe is a contemporary uh, English scholar and pastor, and he states helpfully in his commentary that Psalms 1 and 2 are actually like two grand pillars, one on each side of the entrance to the book of Psalms. Remember, this is really a temple anthology. And so imagine yourself as a Jewish pilgrim, and here you approach the temple, but you see two columns, one on either side of the temple. Well, Psalms 1 and 2 are sort of like that. In fact, the early church father, Jerome, famous, of course, for the Latin translation of the Hebrew Bible known to us as the Vulgate, referred to Psalm 1 as the preface to all of the Psalms, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He even compared it to the great door of, uh, of the building that, it, that is itself the Psalter. And again, this is very interesting when you and I remember that the book of Psalms were basically the ancient hymn book of Hebrew worship in Israel. They were intended for public praise 
Not just for private consumption and devotion. We have turned them into private devotional prayers for you and I, but really they are the songbook of the saints. And so we should really read them in that way, and perhaps we should use them in that way as well. Excuse me. Psalm 1 then, as we will see today, roots real happiness. That is, it anchors down deep satisfaction, solid joy even, in one's real delight in the Word of God, the Bible. Whereas Psalm 2, if we would go on, we're not going to do that this morning, but if we would go on to Psalm 2, that other pillar keeping watch over the treasury of the book of Psalms, it similarly anchors true a biblical joy in one's delight of God's Son. Maybe you want to make note of that. The Word of God and the Son of God are the way to the blessing of God. The Word of God and the Son of God are the way to the blessing of God. It's interesting to observe if you study the Psalms that Psalm 1 verse 1 and Psalm 12 verse uh, sorry Psalm 2 verse 12 actually form an inclusio, that's a fancy um, linguistic word, which basically means uh, a bracket. I call this a bracket of divine blessing even, which uh, is linked by the word asher in Hebrew. That word simply means blessedness or happiness even. Psalm 2 verse 12, look at that verse. It says, kiss the son lest he be angry. And notice, you perish, same word from Psalm 1, in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So here we have, blessed is the man who delights in the word of God in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who delights in the Son of God, Psalm 2 and verse 12. The Beginning and ending of the introduction to the book of Psalms tells us where to find real blessing in the Word of God and in the Son of God. The point here simply in our introduction is that right biblical worship is both uh, word-saturated and it is Christ-centered. Is that our way of worship at Trinity? Are we Bible people, church? Are we awake this morning, church? I'm only partially kidding. When we come to God's house, there ought to be a smile on our face and joy leaping out of our spirits. We are a Bible church, and we are a Christ-exalting church. Make no mistake about it. The path of divine blessing runs right through God's holy law. In view of this context, it's of course Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. We know them as the Pentateuch or the Torah, the law of Moses, the law of God. Uh, But it also leads not just through the Word of God, it leads us to the feet of Jesus. It leads us to God's sinless and holy Son, our Messiah. So, we could put it this way, the truly blessed individual of the Psalms And a faithful congregation today knows and clings to these two truths that blessing is found by being Bible people and people who love the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now there is a second important observation, I think, before we press out of verse 1. And that is that the blessed man is also one who wisely separates himself from the folly and futility of the wicked. 
In other words, as someone else has put it, I thought this was good, the blessed man wisely avoids bad habits by avoiding bad company. What kind of company do we keep? Now, many years ago, I taught on a Wednesday night through The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Those of you who are familiar with John Bunyan's classic book will remember that key character, Christian, and his chance encounter on the journey towards the celestial city with um, one Mr. Worldly Wiseman. You see him all danified up there on the screen. Mr. Worldly Wiseman, of course, uh, dwelt in the town of morality, the town of morality. In their dialogue, I'm going to have to channel my King James, um, uh, inner King James reader here, but listen to the dialogue between uh, Worldly Wiseman and Christian. Worldly wise man begins the conversation, How now, good fellow, whether away after this burdened manner? Christian replies, A burdened manner indeed as ever. I think poor creature had, and whereas you ask me whether away, I tell you, sir, I am going to yonder wicket gate before me, and there, as I am informed, I shall be put into a way to be rid of my heavy burden. You see it there upon his back. Worldly Wiseman says, Has thou a wife and children? Yes, but I am so laden by this burden, I cannot take that pleasure in them as formerly. Methinks I am as if I had none. Worldly Wiseman says, Wilt thou hearken to me if I give thee counsel? Christian says, If it be good, I will. For I stand in need of good counsel, sir. Well, I would advise thee then that thou wilt with all speed get rid of thy burden. For thou wilt never be settled in thy mind until then, nor canst thou enjoy the benefits of divine blessing which God has bestowed upon thee till then. Christian says, that is that which I seek for, even to be rid of this heavy burden, but get it off myself I cannot. Nor is there a man in our country that can take it off my shoulders, therefore I am going that way. As I told you that I may be rid of my burden. Wiseman says, who bid thee go this way to be rid of thy burden? Christian replies, a man that appeared to me on, a man that appeared to me to be a very great and honorable person. His name, as I recall, is Evangelist. Worldly Wiseman then concludes, beshrew him for his counsel. There is not a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world than is that unto which he hath directed thee, and that thou should find, if thou wilt be ruled by his counsel, thou hast met with something I perceive already, for I see the dirt of the slew of despond is upon thee. But that thou slew is is the beginning of the sorrows that do attend those that go on that way. Hear me, I am older than thou. Thou art like to meet with thee on thy way which thou goest wearisomeness and painfulness and hunger and perils, nakedness and sword and lions and dragons and darkness, and in a word, death and whatnot. These things are certainly true, having been confirmed by many testimonies. And why should a man so careless cast away himself by giving heed to a stranger? Christian finally states, Why, sir, this burden upon my back is more terrible to me than all these things which you have here mentioned. Nay, methinks I care me not what I meet in the way, if if so be I can also meet with deliverance from my burden. I made it. (laughs) I practiced that a lot. 
Notice once again here in the first place that the initial step along the road to divine blessedness, again, of course, that road to solid joy and divine happiness is the step of careful separation from the foolishness and folly of the world. I want you to write down or make note of simply the word separation. That's what Psalm 1 verse 1 is all about. It is about separation. Our first key term that we meet with in this psalm. Listen, those who want to walk with God must come away from the hollow and empty wisdom of the world. You cannot mix the two. It is interesting, is it not, that Psalm 1 describes the truly happy person firstly in negative terms, in terms of what they do not do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of Mr. Worldly Wise Man nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Or else we might say the Psalm 1 man doesn't get caught up with the latest worldly currents and wickedness. And friends, there's plenty for us to get caught up in today, is there not? Instead, he takes his stand in the counsel of God's totally sufficient and reliable word. In fact, a key point by this ancient hymn's sobering end, is that those who run with the wicked are doomed to share in their destruction. Or as the New Testament would later put it by the pen of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Beloved, this is precisely what Paul himself would say to another congregation, or to that same congregation, even to the Corinthians, to the temple of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 and following, Paul would write this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols. For we, the church, are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There's a reason why our BFC forefathers noted well the need to separate from the world. Jesus says to us in his high priestly prayer that we are in the world, but we must not be of the world. Divine blessing demands wise separation from the evil ways and problematic philosophies of this corrupted world. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 reminds us, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. God's righteous ones don't run regularly with rebels, that is with the unrighteous. Rather, the, the wise man, as according to Psalm 1, walks away from the wicked. So then if separation is the first step along the wise road leading to divine blessing, what's the next? What's the second step this morning? 
Well, notice the contrast between verse 1, the negative, and verse 2, the positive. But his delight, he doesn't run with the wicked, but rather he runs with the Lord. He lingers with God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Secondly, the thing we need to note here is that the truly blessed man keeps company with Almighty God, the Lord Sovereign, by meditating. That's our second key word this morning. Separation, but also meditation. He meditates upon God's life-giving instructions in the Bible. Church, the key to resisting the enticements of this fallen world is to immerse oneself in the glory of God. The best defense against wickedness is a good offense of beholding the beauty of the Lord on high. I think of James 4. I thought of this about 4.30 this morning. James 4. I don't sleep on Saturday nights. James 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Or as Proverbs 12, verse 5 puts it, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Listen, Psalm 1 is actually the best place or one of the best places where we could go to observe the benefits of really meditating on the Holy Scriptures. And that word meditate is not one that we use so often nowadays. Notice that the psalm starts by drawing a contrast between two men. The first man, of course, is the one who walks in the counsel of the wicked. He's moving in madness and misery. Then he begins to stand in the way of sinners. He's beginning to settle down, in a sense, with his wickedness. And then, of course, he sits in the place of judgment or scorning the law and the word of God. Note the progression into peril. He walks, and then he stands, and then he sits against God. That is, of course, folly, futility, and foolishness. But the blessed man, the Psalm 1 man, however, makes his delight the law of God. He ruminates and meditates and germinates in God's holy word. So what does it mean then to really delight or even to meditate upon God's good instructions? Well, one source has noted that meditation by definition is the powerful habit of pondering or personalizing or practicing scripture. I like that. I think that's helpful. It's pondering or personalizing or practicing scripture. It's more than merely glancing at it. It's digging deep in it. Donald Whitney, a a well-known contemporary uh, Baptist and, and scholar, wrote a very helpful book called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. I would encourage all of you to read that, especially if you're new on the Christian journey, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And Donald Whitney in that book compares the practice of uh, scriptural meditation to steeping a tea bag in hot water. A tea bag that stays in a cup of hot water, of course, uh, uh, leads to the fact that the water is then changed. 
It takes on the color and the flavor of the tea bag that is put inside. And something like that is to happen when we meditate in God's word. The flavor and color of our life begins to change from where we've been planted. Meditation, friend, is not speed reading through the scripture. Rather, it is a slow, methodical walk with God hand in hand, day after day. The Puritan Richard Baxter explains that meditation, quote, is distinguished from the study of the word, wherein the principal aim is to learn the truth. And it's also distinguished from the basic prayer in which God himself is the immediate object. Meditation, then, is the affecting of our hearts and minds with love, with delight and humility towards the things contained in the word, closed quote. It's settling down, not with sinners, but with the scripture. It's letting the word of God, not just getting through your Bible reading, it's letting the Bible get through you in your reading, transforming you from the inside out. Let me ask you, do you love to linger with God and his word? Time and time again, this motif of meditation is repeated in the book of Psalms. Again, Psalm 1 sets the trajectory for the rest of the Psalms in many ways. Psalm 112, verse 1, for instance, says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed, there's our word again, is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Or what of Psalm 119? Let's read them all. No, we won't do that. Psalm 119, verse 35 says, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in your commandments. Or Psalm 119, verse 47, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. You can't really love God if you don't love God's word. They go hand in hand. Or finally, Psalm 119, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. The point is that Psalm 1 really does nothing more then simply remind God's people, God's worshipers, Israel, God's worshipers, the church today in Christ, of what the Lord himself had promised to Joshua when he took over the mantle of leadership over the people of Israel from Moses. Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Notice verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Again, this morning, I had all sorts of time with the Lord this morning. I thought of Psalm 37. Let me just read a few verses from Psalm 37. This is a great Psalm 1 echo. Psalm 37, this won't be up on the screen, I promise you that. Psalm 37, verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and, be, and befriend faithfulness. Notice verse 4, one of my favorite verses. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I'll finish with verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Brothers and sisters, we need to slow down. We need to slow down and sink down into the word of God. We are so busy. We are so busy. The second stanza drives home the prudent principle of abiding and delighting in the law of God, both for the ancient as well as for the modern worshipers, by showing us two greatly contrasting pictures. On the one hand, the psalm likens the wise man who is rooted in God's word to what? A great tree. Notice that he is planted strategically. I see a note of sovereignty here. I haven't really seen a tree plant itself. Trees are planted by another. Well, I think God plants us by grace into his son. He is a a planted tree strategically. Notice also that he is watered by the wisdom of God's truth abundantly. Brother Barry has been asking me to pray for rain lately. Well, this tree does not worry about withering because he's planted near everlasting streams in God's word. Notice also how he bears fruit accordingly to the various seasons of life, both in good times and in bad. In short, here's something you might want to remember. The wise man of the word is flourishing and is fruitful because he is faithful to the Lord and the Lord is faithful to him. If you want to flourish, if you want to be fruitful, you must keep covenant with Christ. You must be faithful to him, and he will be faithful to you. The careful reader of the Old Testament may connect an echo of Psalm 1 with Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. That text reads this way, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and who makes flesh or humanity his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like, notice, a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Rather, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, are we such people? The wise man is characterized by permanence, by plenty, by peace, and by prosperity. Why? Because his life is planted by the infinite resources of a good and merciful God. However, and this is tragic, the wicked are not so. I realize this morning I may not be talking to all blessed people. There may be a wicked person among us. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, the Bible says. And what is chaff? Well, of course, chaff is that empty, hollow husk of wane or, or uh, of wheat or, or grain or corn that uh, when they would thresh, they would thresh the, the, the grain, the, the husk would separate, the kernel would fall down, and the, the, uh, 
the, the, the uh, what am I talking about here? The husk would, or the chaff would blow away. Notice what Job 21, 17 and 18 says. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out? That their calamity comes upon them. That God distributes pains in his anger. That they are like straw before the wind. And like chaff that the storm carries away. Just like the promise of blessing is repeated in the psalm, so is the promise of judgment for the wicked. Note what Psalm 35 verses 5 and 6 state. King David says, let the wicked, that is David's own enemies, let the wicked be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. What is our point here? The point is that the wise man matures according to the grace and the gifts of Almighty God. But the wicked man, the foolish man, wilts and is driven away by the wind according to the passing pleasures of this world. One path is characterized by permanence. By, uh, the other path is characterized by impermanence. One path contains fullness due to flourishing. The other is utterly futile and full of nothingness. This makes me think as well as Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, which says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The blessed man heeds the warning of God's holy word in 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, which says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that, the world, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And this world is passing Away, just like the chaff, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, beloved, true happiness, what the scripture calls here blessedness, belongs to the man who separates, who meditates. And that third word, of course, is mature, maturity. According to the word of God, we see a, con a contrast, as others have noted, in sources, a contrast in results, and a contrast, hell, finally, in destination or in outcome. Notice how the final stanza, verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 1, brings this incredible poem to a sobering or perhaps wonderfully consoling end, depending upon which path you're on. So the fourth word, I'll give it to you here, is the word destination. Destination. For the righteous, Psalm 1 offers, in the end, a promise of peace and permanence in the life and knowledge of the Lord. For the unrighteous, that is, for the wicked, the psalm presents simply an announcement of utter doom and destruction. We read in the last part, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I note here at the end a sobering refrain of our first word, separation. 
Either we will separate from the world or we will be separated with the world. Those standing and scoffing back in verse 1 are now not standing against the Lord in the final judgment, nor have they a place in the presence of the congregation of the righteous. You see, whereas the first word of Psalm 1 is that word blessedness or solid joy or true happiness, it perfectly captures both the present experience and the future destination of the wise and the righteous. The very last word of the psalm, Psalm 1, is that word perish. It is hard to imagine any greater disparity of destinations than those. Blessedness and being at peace with God or destruction and perishing apart from the Lord. Dane Ortland, in his devotional on some, simply states this. Beneath the ever-ending list of to-dos, clamoring for our attention lies the fundamental choice to receive instruction and influence from either God's word or from the world's fools. We will listen to the voice of life or we will listen to the voice of of death. Will we breathe in God's life-giving instruction, sinking deep roots, or will we breathe in the empty instruction of those who will not stand in the judgment? Will, we, will the trials still to come in our lives prone us to be deep-rooted trees, or, which are incapable of being blown over, or will they show us to be chaff blown away by the slightest of breezes? At the end of the day, What you do shows who you really are. Or perhaps we might put it this way, that the fruit that you bear now reveals where your roots have been planted all along. Which traveler are you? I don't have a lot of time for this, but I'll just reference. This just came to my mind also this morning, Dan Allen's funeral yesterday. Dan died at the age of 68 after a long battle with leukemia and lymphoma. Dan was a pastor, a missionary, an encourager, a mentor to so many. And for more than two hours, many of us gathered yesterday in Ephrata to to listen to story after story of this man who was planted down deep in the rivers of God. Through a life devoted to the gospel, a life devoted to Christ, life after life from Ephrata to India was changed by Jesus Christ. He might be gone visibly from us now, but he is not gone. He is with the, fathers, uh, with the Father in heaven, with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His life is a permanent life. But so many people are looking for purpose, and they're trying to find it in all manner of things outside of the gospel. It's good to go to a good Christian funeral, friends. It reminds you of what really, really matters. The testimony of the Bible as we come to a close this morning is simply this. There actually is only one Psalm 1 man. His name is Jesus Christ. He alone, he exclusively is the blessed man who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who never stood in the way of sinners and never sat in the seat of the scornful. Instead, each and every day, moment after glorious moment, Jesus Christ uniquely delighted in the Father's plan And will. Yes, Jesus, the Psalm 1 man, is exclusively the tree planted by streams of water who yields abundant and enduring fruit in the church, who prospers gloriously and eternity now as the living Lord of life 
You see, his resurrection life is the root of all eternal righteousness with God that you and I receive by faith. In fact, Psalm 2, or sorry, Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11 describes that one day every wicked and every wise knee will bow, both the wise and the foolish before Christ, and every tongue will confess that Jesus, of course, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some will confess on that day this unstoppable truth out of hearts brimming to overflowing with gladness in the grace of Jesus. But others will confess it through clenched teeth and hearts full of malice towards the steadfast mercies of God. But every mouth will confess and every knee will bow. Make no mistake about it. The question is, which crowd will you be a part of? You know, sometimes I stop and think about it, how Jesus himself must have loved the Psalms. You know, he sang them so often. How Psalm 1 must have been one of his favorites. You know, Jesus often quoted from the book of Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. Did you know that? After his resurrection, while he was walking with a couple of confused disciples there on the road to Emmaus, he said this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Moreover, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, you all know it from Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus described the blessed path of gospel discipleship. Where did he get this word? Blessed is, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. The next verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we could continue reading the Beatitudes. You see, Jesus lays out a vision for God glorifying virtue in the church which is anchored in the wisdom of Psalm 1. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, another way of saying perishing, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 13 and verse 14. Or what of Matthew 7, verse 17? Every tree, uh, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Do you get my point? That Jesus had lingered in Psalm 1. He knew it and it, it flowed out of him in his own teaching. Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine, as he wraps up his uh, uh, great sermon, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I wonder this morning, do you know personally And savingly, the Psalm 1 man, Jesus Christ. Two roads converged in a wood, and I, I took the Jesus road, less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. To be blessed, friends, we must be found in the blessed one by grace and through faith. 
Jesus says soberingly in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, on that day will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This passage this morning, this sermon today can be either for you a comfort or a challenge. It all depends upon what path you're currently on. Are you walking on the path of blessedness in faith in the Psalm 1 man, Jesus Christ, a path of separation, a path of meditation, a path of maturation, a path leading ultimately to a destination of acceptance and peace with God, or are you on that other path? If you're on the other path, I think you probably know it right now. And if you know that right now, I want to ask you to do something. Before you walk out those doors, grab me by the hand and ask me how you can know for sure that you're on the blessed path. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we so thank you for your word. Oh Lord, we thank you for your son. How Jesus himself has come to both provide and to show us the pattern of true blessedness before Almighty God. Oh Lord, we delight in your truth. And we ask, Lord, for the Spirit to help us hold on to what we've received this morning, to apply it personally and enduringly to our lives, that we might be children that bear much fruit for your glory. Oh Lord, we thank you and we give you praise in the matchless name of Jesus, the Psalm 1 man. We pray, amen.